Well, amen, church. Good morning. You can take a seat. Welcome to Salem Chapel. Man, it is exciting to see so many of us here together in the same service this morning. Kind of so cool when you see the uh, 9 and the 11 a.m. service blending together and seeing those faces. I also want to say a special shout out to those of you that are maybe visiting today. I see a lot of faces uh, that we don't know. Uh, my name is Mark Duncan. I'm one of the pastors here, the discipleship pastor. And I just want to say welcome to you. So thankful that you are with us here today on this Memorial Day weekend. I also want to stop and just take a moment to recognize uh, just the weight of the weekend and what we honor and, re- and remember each and every year, the lives of those who gave their lives the ultimate sacrifice in protection of the freedoms of this country. And so we want to remember and honor them uh, today in that as well. Um, and I also just want to say, recognize that even in the events of this week, uh, in our culture, there's a certain weight, maybe as even walked into the door. And I think, and I pray, and I believe, because God, God's word does this, he will meet us in that place this morning, even as we wrestle with those things. If you're just joining us uh, in the last few weeks, we've actually been in a series uh, in the book of Ephesians, chapter number six. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter six. We're looking at what is commonly known as the armor of God, a spiritual armor for a spiritual battle. And just to emphasize, to be very clear, this is armor, this is something that is already afforded to us, that Jesus has won on our behalf with his life. He's already given it to me. It really comes down to the matter of, am I going to wear it? Am I going to step in to that armor and embrace what has been won on on Jesus' account for me? And the first two weeks we talked about it. We looked at how the the soldier that's fighting the spiritual battle arms himself with the belt of truth. The word of God is at the center of who I am. It is what everything else hangs upon. God's word is true, and that's at the center of my being. That's where I start, and that's where I finish. But then attached to that is the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, Because he was good, because he could keep the law where I could not, I am able to be dressed in that righteousness and be right before a holy God and live in that righteousness in the world that I'm at as well. And that righteousness protects the thing that is the most valuable, my heart, and it guards that. And so now we're moving on to the next piece of the armor, which honestly... To be quite fair, I think honestly gets the the least amount of attention. It seems like the least, maybe the most aspirational piece, but also the part that we don't really think about is armor. We're talking about the shoes of peace this morning. So just to refresh our memory, let's go to chapter 6, verse number 10, and I'm going to read 10 through 15 to follow along with me here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, or because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're talking about shoes, the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace to wear it as shoes in my armor. And I'm thinking about that, thinking about the shoes of peace and considering the reality maybe of the current events of the world that we live in 
And recognizing the anxiety of difficult news we processed out of Texas this week, recognizing the strain of the financial strain that's maybe on many of us right now, recognizing just all the, the anxieties of interpersonal relationships that have maybe been challenged in the last couple years as we felt like we've been more divided as a people, and just recognize when we hear this idea of the shoes of peace being a part of the armor, that doesn't really seem like, based on my experience, that that is something that can actually do anything. Can we be honest about that and say maybe we feel a little like that? I kind of uh, I liken it to my good friend, Mr. Rogers. I'll date myself here by talking about Mr. Rogers, that's okay. Some of you had no, had no idea who that is, and I'm sorry for your childhood. It's a great experience. One of the things, though, that, was, that was, happened literally every single episode in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, where the theme star, song would start playing, and he would come in the door, and he'd be singing the theme song, and what would he start doing? Start changing his clothes. He'd go to the closet, take out the hanger, put his suit coat on the hanger, get out his cardigan, you know, button up all the buttons, and then he would go over to the couch and he would sit down and he would take out his play shoes, right? Take off his loafers, throw them to the side, and tie his play shoes. And somehow, every single week, he was able to do all of that perfectly on time with the music. Very impressed. Like he never finished early, he was always at the last note. He had the shoes on there. But you look at that and you're like, how necessary actually was it for Mr. Rogers to do the whole like changing the clothes routine? Like why did he need to put on play shoes? I mean, honestly, most of the episodes were him walking from the living room to the kitchen, feeding the fish, and playing with puppets in make-believe land, okay? Like he didn't need special footwear to do that. You know, I've been informed I have a house full of ladies I'll say specifically, a middle school lady now, and there's a great need for accessories in this age, I have found. It's an age of accessories. My wife said this the other day. And specifically as it relates to shoes, right? There are shoes for every occasion, right? There, there are, you got to have like your running shoes. You can be active outside. You have to have like the, the little strappy ones, you know, for being a little bit fancy. Then you have to have different kinds of sandals. I realize this as well. Like there's different purposes even for sandals, Right, like you can have like the cheap beach ones that you buy, like at Old Navy, that you only wear when you're on beach vacation, right? But then you got to have like the nice sandals, you know, so when you want to be in that in-between phase. A lot of accessories, right? And in their mind, it seems there's a purpose for each one of those things. But in reality, like we don't give a lot of thought, in most cases, to the function of what the shoes are doing. It's really just about the look. And I believe, honestly, we talk about the peace of God that for many of us, we treat that piece of armor almost like it is an, it's an aspirational accessory. Like it would be really nice if I experienced some peace, but let's be honest, I live in a time that does not feel very peaceful, right? I think that's because maybe we have a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what kind of peace that the author is talking about here in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing about. I want to encourage you to think for a second about what was happening in Apostle Paul's life at that time. Do you think that was a peaceful or a turbulent time for the early church? It's a scary time, right? 
I mean, we deal with a lot, a lot of division and feel often like maybe we, we can't do or express ourselves, perhaps our faith in the way we would want to in this culture, but we didn't have to face being thrown into lions. We didn't have to face being put into a coliseum and, and, and hunted down. That was a reality for the early church, like having to deal with that kind of oppression. So when Paul is, is telling them, like, putting on the shoes of peace, he is not just saying this from a position of, like, you know, lemonade and unicorns and butterflies, this is an, a, a different definition for peace. We think about peace maybe as being an absence of conflict. And what he is prescribing here is peace, shoes of peace that act as traction on uncertain terrain. We're talking about traction. And another picture here of the shoe that I believe he had in mind when he was illustrating this and writing this down. This is called the Roman Caligae, you can pronounce that. Uh, this really a, 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 refor- a reformation in footwear at the time that the Roman soldiers came up with. They have their leather sandals, and notice they've got all the individual straps. That was so you could kind of customize the shoe to your particular foot, right? They'd already figured out how to make every, you know, one size fit all in, in that effect. But then what's really interesting is if you look on the, on the bottom of the sandal, they've attached a bunch of nails. They're literally nails driven into the bottom of the sandal. It really served really only two purposes. One, it was really kind of handy if there was, your enemy was on the ground and you could like stomp his hand and break his sword hand. So they literally did that. Read some very interesting stories about ancient warfare, by the way, this week. Very brutal. But most importantly, what did it do? What did those, what did those extra nails on the bottom do? It gave you traction so that no matter what the terrain was like. You know, and the Roman Empire spread, of course, all over and so there were people in snow, you know, there were people in sand, there were, there were soldiers stationed everywhere, and everywhere they went, they had what was needed to stand and fight no matter the circumstances around it. This is not an aspirational thing that Paul is saying you can have, you can experience. This is a very real reality because we live in an uncertain world, not because things feel peaceful, but because we're in the middle of a battle We need something that will help us stand firm. Go back and look at Ephesians when it said, what was the goal of putting on this armor, all of the armor? What was the goal of it? To stand. To stand. I don't know about you, but like in my mind... I think if I'm putting armor on, I'm kind of envisioning myself as like this like warrior, like out there like doing spin moves, you know, and fighting back the bad guys and, you know, hacking off arms and stuff like that. Like, I'm very active. He's like, I didn't, you're not getting this armor so you can get out there and like hack away at the enemy, you know, kick the devil in the teeth. That's not the, that's not the, the, the vibe here. The vibe here is you put all this on and you will stand and you will not be moved and you will what? You will hold the line. Why is that the reality? Why is he calling us that? Because we we've talked about this the last few weeks. We already fight from a place of victory. The war has already been won, right? We know that. You know, in Jesus Christ, the war has been won for those that put their faith and trust in what he did. But the reality is now I live in the skirmishes. It's like the death throes of the enemy where he's actively working to discourage and divide and harm his people. And it's like constant pressure. And it's constant pressure. And just when we think I have got my fill of it, the heat goes up just a little bit more. 
That's the tone that Paul is writing from when he says, put on the shoes of peace so that you may be able to stand. The gospel, the gospel of peace, it says there, the shoes, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That gospel message, what do we mean by that? The good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died in my place, that he was risen again after three days so that if I believe in what he has done, I can stand righteous before God and be restored. That gospel message is the reason I fight from a place of victory and it is the traction that I need to withstand the battles of every day. This is what I want you to hold on to this morning. This main thought here, when I choose to ground myself In the truth of the gospel, I can be ready and at peace to face any battle. When I ground myself in the truth of the gospel, I can be ready and at peace to face any battle. So the question that should be in your mind today, and I believe that we're going to answer this before we leave, is how does the gospel prepare me to live a life at peace in a battle that is anything but peaceful? How does the gospel do that? How is that accomplished? Okay, so in full disclosure, we're going to go back and forth between a few passages in Scripture. I also like to say in full disclosure, this is not an exhaustive list. To be quite honest, we could go through a whole series just talking about how the gospel prepares me for facing the world. But I'm going to hit on the three things I believe that God is pressing most on on my heart right now. Does that seem fair? And I believe maybe it'll hit you in the same place. All right, so here's the, here's the first one. How does the gospel prepare me? The gospel of peace prepares me by defining the battle lines in my life so that I recognize the war when I see it. The gospel defines the battle lines. It shows me where the sides are. It shows me where the fighting is going on so that I actually recognize the war when I see it. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse number 19 to 22. I'll give you a second to turn there. And as full disclosure, we're going to go back between there and Philippians. We'll come back to Colossians. So if you've got bookmarks, you can hold your place there. But Colossians 1 19 to 22 says this, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What is Paul explaining there in Colossians? He's explaining what the gospel does. He's explaining why the word gospel literally means good news. This is why it is good news. The reality of the battle is, is that when I am born into this world because of sin that I have willingly participated in, I have found myself on the opposing side of a holy God. I'm on the other side I'm fighting against him, whether I even recognize it or not, because I am fulfilling the desires of my own body and and fulfilling those lusts and giving in to whatever I feel like in the moment, whether that be my emotions or actions that are informed by that, I'm at odds with God. I'm fighting on the other side. That's the reality of my position going into this life. I have no inclination to change sides. I think that's very important to recognize. 
I was okay in my mind on my own, trying to make it, trying to deal with with the things that are happening in my life to the best that I can, but just trying to get by until the moment, whatever that moment was like for you, I pray that you have that you know when that moment is, you know when Jesus came to meet you, but in that moment that Jesus stepped into my situation, when I was at odds with God fighting on the other side, and he made peace, it says there in Colossians 1, he made peace by the blood of his cross. I mean, Jesus literally crossed the battle lines, and he came and found me. And I wasn't just a a POW that had been pulled back. I was actually fighting. I was defying. And he came and found me where I was and expressed his love to me. And he, by his blood, by his death, brought me to God. He brought me to the other side. That's how it works. That's, what the, that's why the gospel is good news. It's not something I decided. It's not something I did. It's something that Jesus did. He brought me on his side, and he didn't just like bring me over there and kind of push me to the back. He brought me into his family. He said, you're a child of my father now. You're part of, of, of the family. You're in the place of honor in this family. I love the words of Ephesians 2, and it says, despite my condition, uses those two words which I always love to see in Scripture, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. That was us. That was us fighting against him. Even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's why it's a good message. It was all him, right? I just had to receive it. It's a beautiful reality. Why is that critical for me to understand Because then you recognize the reality of crossing the lines, okay? If I've crossed from death to life, if I've crossed from being against God to being with God, what does that mean for the reality of the enemy that's on the other side now? The enemy of my father is also what? It's also my enemy. Why is that essential for me to pay attention to that? Because when I, when I look at the events happening in my life, when I look at events that are happening in, in this world, I have a context. I have a context for understanding why there is evil in the world. And despite the fact that like, it seems every two to three months, I have a new definition visually of what, how evil that evil can be. Can we be honest? But I still have a framework. I know why these things are happening because God has told me. God has told me that if it were not for the grace of Jesus, that would be what I would be as well. Right? Paul even said that to the Colossians there. Some of you were alienated. You were hostile in your mind. You were doing evil deeds. That was every single one of us. That's hard to believe. But like every human heart is capable of the most depraved acts. Sort of Jesus Christ stepping in and flipping the script. So it's important for me to recognize the gospel not only is is good news in that I can receive forgiveness, I can receive sonship under God, I can be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ, but also it gives me a visual. 
of what the stakes are in the world that I live in, as I recognize and see brokenness at work in the world. It's not for me to stand back and like wag a finger and say, I can't believe those people. It's not an us versus them mentality. But it is giving me clarity to understand why things happen the way that they do. To understand why I feel such pressure. Why I'm tempted to give in to despair. Why I find myself easily discouraged. Because there's an enemy hard at work. And he hasn't slacked off at all. As the gospel prepares me to see where the battle lines are drawn so that I recognize what the stakes are. This peace that we talked about, this, this traction, is found in seeing the lay of the land and where I fit into that. Right? Does it make it an easy experience, but it does define the boundaries I know no matter how evil the world can get, it cannot change the status that has been afforded to me in Jesus Christ. That cannot be taken away, amen? I know that the war is won. I know what the outcome is. I know what it'll be like someday when I stand before my Lord and I'll experience the fullness of the word the Bible uses for peace, shalom, which really just speaks to like the fullness of everything once again. And it really speaks to what Jesus says in Revelation 21 about all things have become new. That reality is there and it will be something I experience. But in this place for now, that peace is confident traction because there's a very real battle that's going on around me every single day. And I need to call it that. I don't just need to say the difficult circumstance. I miss on the reality of what that, where that circumstance stems from. Right? The three enemies of God. Right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world being how sin affects society. The flesh being how sin works in me. And the devil, who's planning schemes to distract and divide and to lead me to despair. These things are reality. Because I understand that the battle lines are drawn, I'm not shaken by outright assaults. I expect them. Not in some kind of weird, like unfeeling or apathetic way, like bring it on. I'm not inhumane. I don't look at things like what happened this week in Texas and not feel something about that. Or say something insensitive like, just get me out of here, Jesus. These sinners are doing terrible things. I also don't discount the reality of the power of prayer in a situation that doesn't make sense. To be able to go to the Lord and say, I know that you are good. I've experienced that in the gospel. But I'm just being honest, this really, really doesn't feel good. But also why I, why I feel that way. I don't let my feelings dictate the reality as I look out and I see there's a battle here. This isn't by accident, it's by design. Are you ready to stand because you can see the battle lines are drawn? This is the second way the gospel of peace prepares me. It prepares me by anchoring my hope in gratitude instead of in 
my circumstances. Ingratitude. All right, flip over to Philippians chapter 4. Not hold your place in Colossians. We'll come back to that at the end. But Philippians chapter 4. Very familiar passage, I think, to many of us. I was talking with my daughter. I think that the Lord brought this passage to mind to her four times this past week. So I was like, I think he's trying to tell you something. I think you need to listen. I think I need to listen. All right? Hear this verse again, even as familiar as it may sound, these verses. Do not allow your mind to lead you into a familiar path of assuming, again, this is something that's aspirational. It's not something that I can experience. Here's what it says. Rejoice, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. How often? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Also goes to speak of those battle lines. The Lord is there as well. Let's not forget that. There's an enemy, there are schemes, but the Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. How much is anything? Pretty comprehensive word, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what's going to happen? Verse 7. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. With thanksgiving. I'm going to focus on that phrase. Do not be anxious Take the things, the burdens that are on my heart, in prayer and supplication, tell the Lord with what? With thanksgiving. And when I do that, the byproduct of that is peace, right? Let's switch gears in a second here. You know, one thing I've noticed that's been really kind of an interesting uh, trend in footwear has been the resurgence of the croc since the pandemic. <laughs> I kind of thought that those shoes had uh, sort of gone by the wayside, you know. Some of you are like, no, I, I've, I've been wearing them ever since. You know, I never, never stopped. Um, I'm not dis- no, ditching on the Crocs, okay, but I've just noticed it seems like Crocs are just now sort of like the go-to shoe for every occasion, you know. Going out on a fancy date with the wife, Got the camo Crocs, you know, just makes sense. I guess if you really want to dress it up, you, you flip the little, like, uh, thing to the back of the heel, you know, just to make sure you got a little extra, extra, extra uh, you know, security there. You don't want those to fall off, fall off. But like the Croc, you see it everywhere. That fun little habit. Some of you are going to judge me for this. That's okay. My new favorite thing to do while waiting uh, on the table at a restaurant is to count how many people come in with Crocs. It's just a, <laughs> now you're going to do it too, and you're going <laughs> to blame me for that. It's just kind of interesting to me, like, wow, look at, this just came out of nowhere. There's a resurgence of Crocs. I think how, how practical, like, wearing the Croc is, you know, and how comfortable it is, like, for just moving around the house, you know, working from home, going out to pick up some groceries, maybe. But then I thought about, like, what if by some measure of God's grace to me, the Oakland A's make it to the World Series again? That, that'd be a, it's fair enough to laugh. <laughs> I said by God's grace, okay? <laughs> a lot of grace. Let's say they make it back there some year in the future, hopefully before I die. And they're in the World Series game. I would be incredibly distressed 
incredibly distressed if the Oakland A's walked out to play in the World Series wearing a smart pair of Crocs, you know? Maybe very fashionable. They could have green ones with a big yellow A, right? They look really nice. But I guarantee the first time someone hits a ball and tries to make the turn around first base, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to wipe out, right? They're going to blow right out of those Crocs trying to get on base. Why? Because they have no traction. They have no traction at all. There's nothing to grab onto. When you're wearing Crocs, you're just sort of like at the mercy of whatever you're walking on, right? (laughs) Whatever surface you happen to be walking on, that's what you're going to get. And I, I, that's, I believe the reality, not to make, make light of it, but that's the reality, honestly, of how we live from day to day. I'm, I'm unprepared, you know. I'm unprepared for what the day has. I, I don't really give a thought to there being disruption in my day, to there being uh, anxiety in my day until something happens. And then all of a sudden, it's just overwhelming to me. It's all I can think about. It may be for you, driving by the gas station. You see the price went up another 10 cents. You're like, I'm not going to be able to drive. You know, we've all, I think we've probably literally all had that conversation in the last month, right? People talking about getting bikes and all of that. We think about these things. And we even recognize it's kind of like a slow drip that just sort of builds over time. And I'm like, I'm really, really tense for some reason. I can't put my finger on it. It says from moment to moment, we're just living in what is happening next. We're looking forward, which is not a bad thing to do, but all we can focus on is how is the current thing that I'm experiencing going to change, and most specifically, when, right? When is that going to change? Well, he's talking about, again, Paul's not making light of anxiety. I'm not making light of anxiety. I feel anxiety. I do. I don't feel like it's something that has to paralyze me to the point that I can't live in the reality of what he promises me in the gospel. That when I feel tense, whether that's because I'm watching the news, and to be quite honest, sometimes maybe we just need to turn off the news. If you're a parent, I want to lovingly, I didn't put this in the notes, but I was going to say it because I feel it. I think you need to be guarded in front of your children about how you talk about your anxieties in the events that are happening in the world, recognizing that many of the things that you and I are processing are weighty for us as adults. And as children, they have no framework to understand that. I had to even catch myself, again, grumbling about gas prices in front of my daughter because whether or not she could put that into words or not, it was impacting her to hear me grumble every time I would drive past the gas station. Our children are incredibly anxious. Have you noticed that or not? I think a lot of times it's because we've transferred it. But we have, again, the gospel shoes of peace give us the framework for how to respond. What did he say back there in Philippians 4? He said, Do not be anxious, but in everything prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why is he including the thanksgiving peace? Because it is very easy for me to jump to all of the things that I am anxious about. God, fix the economy. God, give me the candidates that I want in November. Like, I can fixate on those things, no problem. 
How am I going to pay for groceries this month? I can fixate on that, no problem. What is incredibly difficult for me to do and be disciplined to do is actually to focus on the things that God has already done. That he's literally already done. And I don't just mean, and I'm not minimizing this at all, I don't just mean the beauty of the gospel. That's a significant piece. But like, I even mean like in the daily provision. God, you've given me food for my entire life up to this point. Why should I doubt that you would continue to provide that in some way? God, I have, yes, gas is expensive, but man, I own a car. That's cool. Just to stop and do that. And to refocus, why does it encourage us to do that? It's just like the the crocs and the cleats type of idea there. Remembering what God has done, reflecting on that, maybe even documenting that. I would suggest that's a good discipline to get into, writing down the things that God has done. You can include that in your family worship time with your kids at night. You know, not just reading the Bible story, but also say, before we go to bed, before we pray about what we want God to do, can we just stop and thank God for what he's already done? If you're familiar with our prayer tool that we have out there in the lobby, that's the first step, upward prayers, taking a moment to recognize who God is and what he has done and just resting in that. I would dare say a good portion of our days would be better spent just having a day or two maybe where we just pray in that movement. I don't even bring my things to the table. Just reflect on what God has done. Because every time I do that, when I name the things that God has done in my life, you know what it does? It digs those cleats in even deeper in my confidence that he sees me where I am now and he hasn't given up and he's still working. Those prayers of thanksgiving, that, that gratitude is directly tied to me experiencing the promise of what he says later in that verse, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. This is not a I feel at peace type of Zen moment type of peace that he's promising. This is a supernatural peace that has no explanation. I cannot point to that and say how that happened. I only know that it came as a part of reflecting on with gratitude for God and what he has done for me and what he is doing in my life. And I will take the things that I'm tempted to believe that he doesn't see and I'll bring those to the same God. What am I doing there? I'm rooting my confidence. I'm digging my heels into the character of Christ. Not slipping around on the circumstances of the day. So I believe Colossians 2 says, about being, if you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the truth. That's what it means to be rooted in Jesus. I'm rooting my day in the character of Christ. I'm digging deeper into him. I'm not trying to keep my hopes up in the air by keeping a good mood and keeping a positive attitude. I'm digging my confidence into the promises of God and the track record that he has in my life. When you are overwhelmed with gratitude for the faithfulness of God, will be overwhelmed with the confidence by the peace of God. It's just true. You experienced that this morning? Is that part of your routine when you're feeling though the weight of the world, of your circumstances, of the things you hear on the news, whatever it is that's, that's squeezing you, and you just find yourself incredibly tense? You're taking a moment just to step back out of that. 
Before you say, God, change this, God, fix this, God, do something, that you stop and say, God, before I get into that place of defensiveness where what I say to you might come across as, as you not doing something and that accusatory, I'm going to stop and actually recognize what you have done. Do you put yourself in the place? Are you putting on the shoes of peace with gratitude and letting him give you the supernatural peace? I could stay more on that, but i got to move ahead for time. This is the last thing this morning. The gospel of peace prepares me by establishing a community of reinforcements so that I'm not overwhelmed on my own. Go back to Colossians, or in chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does that sound like he's talking about? Or should I say who? The church. Does it sound like church? Called together in one body? Letting the word of Christ richly dwell in us, singing psalms and spiritual hymns you know, to one another, affirming to one another what is true about who God is and what Jesus has done. Doesn't that sound like the church? That's what it's supposed to be, right? What's the point of the church? Why do I need that? Why is that a gift that is given to me by the gospel? Well, first off, Everyone that that is a part of the body of Christ, and let's reemphasize that phrase, the body of Christ, not a membership club, the body of Christ. Scripture also calls the church the bride of Christ. But we can be honest, the bride is kind of ugly sometimes. The bride's got some warts, right? She She can be a little ugly sometimes. And I don't want to make light of that at all, right? When there's sin at work within the church, we need to deal with that. We need to confess that and repent of that. But make no mistake, there is no other community that can lay claim to the fact of being the body of Christ other than the church. And yeah, sometimes she's imperfect and undeserving, it seems, of her groom. And yeah, sometimes her leaders are flawed. Not sometimes, we all are flawed. Her actions are often inconsistent with her mission, but she is Jesus' bride. And the reason that you and I gather together, I pray, is not just because you like the style of the preaching here, or, or you like the, th- the, the, the leaders at Salem Chapel, because it resonates in your heart that we are gathered together under the name of Jesus Christ. We sang about that before this message even started, the wonderful name that it is. That is what unites us. Not a common shared background, not stories that, that, are, that, we, that we have where we experienced all the same things, but our relationship in this place is formed around one person and one person alone, that is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of peace, part of that reality because it has brought me into the family of God has also brought you there. And part of my responsibility to you as part of the body of Christ is to represent the gospel to you, to teach you what is true, not not in my role necessarily as a pastor. Like We should be doing that for one another. What I'm saying is accurate to what I'm believing, and I want to tell you that. 
right? When you come to me and you say, in a moment of transparency, I am anxious, that's not wrong for you to be vulnerable. It's not wrong for me to be vulnerable and say, I'm struggling to believe that this is true. And for you, a brother or sister in Christ, to come along beside of me and to pray with me and to speak godly wisdom over my life. That's why you can't do all of that separate from the body of Christ. Again, that's not a slam on anyone that, that is not able to attend for a number of reasons in church, but I want to elevate the reality of why it is we are here together. It's not just about who's standing on this stage and what they're teaching that weekend. It's what, what these faces that are in this congregation are representing to one another, both when we gather and we're worshiping and some of you are raising your hands and I can see in your eyes, I can hear in your voice that you are, like you believe this. It is such a confirmation to me that on Monday morning that I'm not on my own. And when you leave this place, I pray that you are energized because you see other people that believe in the name of Jesus Christ and they have experienced the power of the gospel in their life and that gives you such a charge that when you get out there, you're ready to go and like take the, take the ground, right? Because the people of God were there with you in that. That's a gift of God's grace. That's a gift of the gospel to you. The church is supposed to be, like I said there in Colossians 3, the people of God ruled by the peace of God, led by the word of God, grounded in thankfulness to God, and united together in the gospel of God. That's who we are. I'll leave us at this thought. Ecclesiastes 4, one of my favorite passages, is often actually read at weddings, which is great. It's good context for weddings, but there's a reality to this and why the church is a minister of peace to me and to you as we gather together, as we support one another. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That's what the, the point of the church is. And I can have the right footwear. I can be grounded in, in the peace of Jesus Christ Right, but you know, one soldier that was wearing those, those sandals, the Caligai, standing alone, under the force of constant pressure, that soldier's going to be overwhelmed for fighting in a battle. Can't cover from all the sides. But when I'm standing locked arm in arm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're rooted in the peace of Jesus Christ, because you've experienced that, and you're living in gratitude for what he's done in face of intense pressure and in face of, in, of intense difficulty. And, and my other brother's over here on the other side beside, I mean, he's doing the same thing, and I'm right here in the middle. Our strength is, is magnified as we stand in that together. So we wrap up this morning. I'd like to remind us, a soldier's feet are where he first touches the battlefield. And isn't it appropriate that the gospel should be the thing that touches the ground first before I'm ready to stand? Let's close your eyes for a second. I'm going to pray in just a second. But before I do that, I want to ask you, 
You don't have to say it out loud, but actually it will come straight to your mind. What's the thing that is most pushing on you this morning? Where do you feel the tension of the battle today? Can you reflect in this moment as I pray with gratitude for what God has already done up to this point? You just focus on one thing and focus on the gospel this morning and what's afforded to you in Jesus Christ. Let your request be made known to him. These shoes of peace are a custom fit for every person. It's appropriate for every occasion and it's necessary for every day. Let's pray that we believe it. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We, we are not ashamed of the gospel message, God, because it's the power of God and to salvation for everyone that believes. And that is not just about securing eternal destinations. That is about standing in the battles of today. And God, there are many things that are pressing in on us. We feel it. I pray today we see the battle lines are clearly drawn. I pray we see today that the, the key to unlocking that traction, that peace to stand is found in gratitude. And God, I pray as we do that, we might take advantage of the gift of your church, your people, walking side by side with us, standing on these things. Confirm them in our hearts. Give us the peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.